Thank you for your application. However, we've decided to move forward with other candidates. How many times have you heard these words or read these words after a job interview? Probably not as many times as a recent graduate or an international student. In Canada, we have about 2 million post-secondary students, 25% of which are students from abroad. And every year, so many of this demographic find themselves struggling to start careers due to a plethora of reasons. Enter Toby Oluwale. As a young kid, Toby wanted to skip university and go straight for a career in pro sports, in soccer, or football, depending on where you're listening to this from. However, his dad had other plans, and he ended up flying out to Canada to attend an international student high school based in Hamilton, Ontario. He was driven by the struggles of his friends and families who had such a hard time trying to land jobs, so Toby realized how tough it was to navigate the minefield that is unemployment and set out to solve this issue with his own process. So he posted a simple message to his LinkedIn. Hey, I want to help five people get jobs this year. He received 50 messages, and the idea for three skills was born. In one year, they helped 36 people land full-time roles with a combined income of over $1.7 million. This was a dream come true. Today, Toby's company has a strong mission, to develop the most marketable people in the world by equipping them with the skills they need to understand and communicate their true value. Toby and his team truly understand the cruel unemployment cycle and earnestly want to help those in need. So we get a chance to talk to Toby about his journey, trying to build this company, how he landed his dream job with Shopify in just 12 days, and becoming the best version of yourself. So stop listening to me and start listening to Toby. Hey guys. Hey Toby, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Doing good, man, doing good. You guys have quite the setup there. I mean, we try our best, right? We're not, uh, <laughs> we're not totally a professional studio yet, but you know. Uh, getting there. Yeah, hopefully, man. And uh, how's, how's the heat wave? It's freaking nuts. It's reminding me of back <laughs> home. I'm just, I'm mad that I haven't made enough money to have a pool in my backyard. That's all I'm mad about. Hey, but, that's the next uh, goal then, right? Yeah, I, I saw one of my friends with a pool in his backyard. I'm like putting that on the bucket list. I got to get I gotta get there. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> how 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 warm is it usually during the summertime in uh, Nigeria? I mean, I haven't been back for uh, like five years, but it's warm year round. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 just this hot all the time. Um, oh shoot! <laughs> which is like, and then it goes down to maybe like eighteen degrees in the like winter. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like people start wearing sweaters and like sneezing and then I, I came here i was like shit like that was summer yeah yeah so it's, it's different um how, how are you guys coping uh i mean for heat wise standpoint i'm just staying inside like nice ac dude like yeah. I, I i i'm not really a heat kind of guy like if it goes over 25 degrees i'm just not trying to go outside that's just me personally but yeah um, that's I a mean, sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, Sherston, like... yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you obviously been to Sri Lanka, so it's probably hot there too, so. Dude, I, I would not be able to grow up there. Like, I would be, <laughs> I'm melting right now, just even inside the house in AC. So, like, they're, they're just used to 40 degrees every day. It's like, I don't know how you guys, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's crazy. But I'm, I'm in Canada, so I'm grateful that we at least get some heat because in about two, three months, we're going to be like, damn. Right, yes. Cold. Yeah, the snow is going to start again. It's typical life here, you know, like six yeah. months cold, six months kind of okay. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. 
That's all good. Yeah, man. So, Toby, we want to really uh, we want to shout you out for obviously being on the podcast today. You have a very, very unique story, and we wanted to share it with our listeners um, and you know get your thoughts on um, you know certain areas, career, uh, your journey, um, and the company you started. So, uh, without further ado, let's get it started, and uh, I'm gonna let Sherston uh, lead this uh, off. For sure, man. Again, thank you again for being a part of this, and uh, you kind of alluded to it already. Uh, you are from Nigeria. So maybe we can start off with a little bit about your personal journey and um, how it was kind of moving from uh, back home to a new country and kind of adapting to that. Can you tell us about uh, your, your early story of um, coming to Canada and how that kind of came about? Yeah, so, um, you know, I always wanted to be a professional soccer player. So when I finished from uh, grade 11, um, I, I went, Dad, listen, I'm not feeling this university stuff. Um, I want to go to England and play soccer. He's like, I'll give you 10 minutes. If you can find an academy, I'll let you go. And this is like 2009, 2010. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but internet back then wasn't like, you couldn't do much in 10 minutes, right? So like Googling, I'm like trying to find something. Obviously, I don't find anything. Um, and I come back downstairs and he's like, well, too bad I already paid your school fees in Canada. So... <laughs> like wow you trapped me there so um that was how i ended up not deciding but ended up coming to canada at 15. Um, and i came to a high school in uh, hamilton ontario as a private high school and what was awesome was it was an international student high school so it was 99 percent international students it was like 40 percent nigerian 40 percent chinese and like 20% everybody else. So I, I didn't feel out of place. I made a lot of friendships. I met my co-founder there. Uh, he was my roommate. That's how we met. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got to Canada against my will. Yeah. So just, just, I just want to go back there. Did he, did he actually pay your tuition and then give you the 10 minutes? Like, was that fake? Yeah. No, no, he actually did that. He had already paid it and he was just, <laughs> Like, I don't even know what that parenting style is, but I guess it worked. <laughs> like, I I don't really, like, the immigration path in, like, England and in the States is, like, horrendous. Like, when you finish school in England, you have, I think, a week before you have to leave. I think they just changed it this year. But literally, like, you finish school, like, you got to go home. And, and that to me is like the craziest thing. Like I pay 40, 50, 60,000 pounds and you don't even give me a shot, shot to work, you know? Um, so I'm really glad that my dad pushed me to Canada. It was one of those things like, you know, your parents seeing what you couldn't see. So it's, it's good. I'm, I'm glad that I'm here and not anywhere else. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and can you tell why you, the, your dad picked Canada over, or over anywhere else? Uh, I don't really like, I never asked, like, I know that they had gone to like some information session. They had talked about like, you know, how Canada was like safer than most places. And uh, I think the people that had come to recruit were saying how there's a path to staying. Um, right. So I think that all affected it because um, no, nobody really wants to, you know, send their kids abroad and then uh, have them come back right away if if there isn't actually something for them to come back to, right? right. Like the, my friends that went back, 
gladly. Their parents were multimillionaires with really big corporations. They had a job waiting for them. Um, but most people didn't, you know, didn't want to do that. And like, I didn't want to do that. Um, so I think that's why they chose Canada. For sure. Well, hey, we're, we're thankful that you're here or else uh, we probably wouldn't have been able to meet you, right? That's true. Even though you came here, uh, not by your choice. Uh, but you did have one choice, I guess, uh, with your legal name. Um, so we're yeah. calling you Toby here, but that's not your actual name. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, growing up, like, everyone called me Toby, right? Like, and uh, it was never really a problem, right? It only became a problem when it started hindering me from stuff when I put my full name. But up, up until then, I didn't really care. Like Toby, in my language, to, in my language is Yoruba, um, but in my language, Toby means great. So my full name, Oluwa Toby Laba, means uh, God is a great king. So Toby means great. And so people have just been calling me great my whole life it is essentially what I've you know, picked up on, but um, it's not my legal, my legal name right now is Olutobi, which is just a shortened version of the full name. Right. But how it works in Nigeria is, uh, you know, you don't name your kid like Sarah as soon as they're born. You wait seven days, call the whole family, extended family, you do a big party and they have what's called a naming ceremony. And then like your grandparents give you a name from one side, the other grandparents give you a name, then your uncles and your aunts give you a name and like people can like drop names. And then the parents pick the names that they want. And so my mom gave me like my English name, Samuel. Um, they also picked my first name, Oluwa Tobilaba. Um, I know that I have my dad's name and there's like, I, I, apparently I have 10 names. I, I don't know <laughs> six of them, but they said that people gave me so many names and that's, I was like, all right, well, just call me Toby. It's, if I have to say my full name, I just don't think I have the time. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's almost like a democratic system that you have going on there to pick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very like I, I find a lot of the uh, cultures back home or like even just around the world, apart from like Western countries, is very like cultural and very communal. I mean, like it's like the whole village needs to be a part of everything. Right. Um, and I thought that was cool. And I, I actually want to be able to recreate that here because there's so many benefits of having that many people involved in your life, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and it's almost like a, a setup for your life, right? Like just in your name, like calling you a king and calling you great. It's like, it's setting the path forward to be like, hey man, you're gonna have a good life. Uh, yeah. And your name is gonna lead that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, and names back home mean a lot. Like they don't just throw a name. Like the name is like thought through like, all three of my siblings, we all have the same initials. It's the same initials as my dad. Um, but each of our names is like really thought through to a point where like you can see it, like almost like us living out what it is that we were named. And um, I think that's the power of names. Like, and I, I'm excited to name my kids. I already picked the name. My wife hasn't accepted it yet. Um, I'm not going to tell you because too many people <laughs> are going to be like, go to start naming their kids my name. <laughs> nah, keep that a secret. That's totally fine. But I like that. It's like a clash of cultures, right? Especially coming here and bringing that uh, that mentality uh, to Canada as well and, and, and bringing that kind of purpose to something as simple yeah. as a name that people probably don't even put too much thought into sometimes. Um, yeah, I like yeah, that I a lot. Um, so just kind of... Uh, 
obviously probably a culture shift and culture clash when you came here. Um, can you tell us a, a little about your kind of uh, fitting into Canada, like your early days and kind of what it would mean t- um, to kind of get that status completed? Because I know you didn't mention um, it, it, you're not fully uh, citizen citizenship left yet, right? Yeah, so I, I have my permanent residency, which is a huge win for me. Um, so I, it took eight years. Like I got here in 2010, um, you know, did five years of school and then I had to work for a year full time at a certain level right. to qualify for permanent residency. And I got lucky because my boss for my first job in a 10 man startup gave me on my job description, sales manager, right. In a tech company. So right. it was like super high on the, you know, list of jobs that qualify. Um, and that helped me get my permanent residency really easily in 2018. And then this year, um, I'm going to apply for my citizenship, um, which is, you know, it kind of pisses me off though, because the biggest thing I wanted was the passport so I could travel whenever I wanted and not have to like plan things six months in advance. Um, but now like I ain't getting on no planes. Like (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to hang around with the passport, take pictures with it or something. (laughs) You know? So yeah. Just post your password to Instagram and that's it. Yeah, it's like, that's pretty much it. It's like, nobody wants to get on the plane right now. Like the biggest thing with PR was that I'd be able to buy a house for 5% down. I wouldn't have to get like re-entry visas every time I traveled. Um, but even when we were going for our honeymoon last year, I had to get a visa for Greece. I had to get a visa for the UK. I had to get a, like, I spent probably 500 bucks just like getting visas. And then I realized that like visas are a form of oppression that we're not going to get into today. But, (laughs) you know, I literally went like, this is so like, there's, I got had like a big question mark, like why some countries got to get a visa and like other countries don't, uh, I'll leave that alone for now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's for sure. We we do like to get controversial sometimes, but um, uh, maybe we can circle back to that off air once once we get through this. (laughs) Uh, so I, I want to switch into a little bit about your, your work history here. I, so you mentioned that your, your first job kind of lined that up for you, uh, getting the sales manager position. It allowed you to uh, kind of give you a higher position and gave you more recognition towards a PR. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, during school, I didn't, I, I tried to work, but I couldn't really, uh, I think I got a gig as like a intramural referee once. Um, that was like as, as far as I could get in terms of jobs. Um, so I would just start businesses. I would just sell whatever I used to flip iPhones. I used to flip couches. I used to, what else did I do? I started like a, a training camp for international students that were trying to get on the varsity team. Um, I did something called ACN network marketing for like two years. Um, and then the last one was, I started a hoverboard business and that was the one that took off. That was the one that helped me get my first job. Um, and yeah, so I've just been in tech ever since, and I love tech. Yeah, so uh, Toby, you mentioned all that entrepreneurial kind of route that you just took there, the ingenuity that you kind of had to take. So we know you were currently work at Shopify, right? And so, yeah. but that role didn't come easy to you. You had multiple rounds of rejections, and at each stage, what what kind of things did you learn, and uh, uh, how did you improve your skill sets to land your dream job? Yeah, I mean, the first time I went, um, 
I I've been referred by a friend and they were just starting their new org Shopify plus. And to be honest, like I wasn't really ready. Um, so that one was like a write off. Um, I didn't really know what to improve on either. Like I just, you know, like you go for an interview and they kind of give you feedback, but not really. And I was like, so what do I like? What do I do to be better? And nobody could tell me. I was like, okay. So I apply the next year. I go back in, get to the final interview. I don't get it. Go back, final interview. Don't get it. Come back, final interview. Don't get it. Then the fifth and the sixth time, they just told me no over email. <laughs> um, and then the seventh time was essentially my uh, my company that I was working for had just said they were going remote. And um, we'd have to work remote like a couple of days of the week. And I was like, man, I'm going to work remote. I'm going to work. I'm going to do something I love. Like, so I was like, I wonder if there's any remote roles for Shopify. So I check, I find a role. I message my friend. I'm like, dude, this role is perfect for me. Um, will you refer me? So he refers me at like 1 a.m. Okay. Um, 9 a.m. I get an email. Hey, we'd like to set up an interview. I was like, whoa, that has never happened before. It always takes like a couple weeks. Um, so I set up the interview. Four days later, they're like, hey, we're skipping you past the next stage. We're skipping you right to the final stage. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. So I get to the final stage. And what I do this time is I, call, I message 10 people in my position in Shopify. And uh, I ask them if I can get on a call with them and find out what the role's like. And nine of them ignore me and one responds. And he's a Nigerian guy in the exact role. And he just hooks me up. He's just like, listen, say this, say this, don't say this, don't say this. Like, this is what we do. Like, it was awesome. Um, so I go in, like, I'm so confident because I'm like, I know your secrets and you don't know that I know your secrets. So I'm going to like, so I just, I crushed it. Like, to devour that interview. Probably the best interview I ever had. But um what was cool was the thought process behind preparing for the interview came from the course we had built so from teaching people how to get their dream jobs for the past year by the time it was like my turn i literally knew like exactly what to do i had scripts i had like my confidence i had my interview questions because we teach all that stuff for a reason right and so I essentially take my course and prep for my dream job. And I landed that job in 12 days. And the Shopify process takes four to six weeks. Anybody will tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt like I was the best candidate, not because I was special, but because I was so prepared this time that there was just no question about it. Um, and then, you know, when it came to, okay, let's negotiate the salary, I'd already when like, you know what, as long as I get into Shopify, I'm fine to even stay where I'm at. Boosting my salary, it's like win, freaking win. So um, got in and I just hit the ground running and it's been quite the journey already, two months and um, I'm loving it. Like I already know like I'm gonna like either be here for a long time or do a lot in a short time. <laughs> but yeah. I, but I, I really love, I love the company like, I really, really do. I've loved it since the day I sold 10 grand on their platform for my hoverboards. I was like, this is life-changing technology. So 
I, I want to build it for as long as I can, right? Um, because I see the change. I see how it changes people's lives. So, yeah. That's so, that's such an awesome story. I mean, uh, it just goes to show, like, you can't just, like, apply once and if you get rejected, you know, just give up and never apply there right. again. Because um, likely, like, there is, like, a lot of qualified candidates going after one role. And you know what? It takes time. You have to build up your skill sets too. It's not, uh, you, you did, you did it seven times and that's yeah. seven time, you know, lucky number seven. Right. So, yeah. uh, you, you got it, you got it in. And then, uh, yeah, man, I'm super, super happy for you. It's, uh, and you, you've been saying you've been enjoying for the past two months. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of also brings me to the point where you also built a company at the same time, actually a little earlier than that called three skills. Um, yeah. And you just mentioned you use some of the skills that you uh, and the templates that you built at three skills to apply to your job at Shopify. So yeah. walk me, walk me through how you came uh, about the idea for founding three skills and what exactly does the company do? Yeah. So um, my sister is a, a, like an actual genius. Um, she, I brag about her all the time. She's, she finished with the highest GPA in her grade that year in 2018 or something um taught herself korean in six months like a genius and she could not find a job when she graduated like was applying for four months started getting like really sad really depressed and i just remember standing in the kitchen with her and she just like she just bawled and went like yo this sucks and i just went okay i'm gonna do something about this so i go to a marketing company because she studied cognitive science so she didn't really know what she could do, which is a big problem at schools. Like you study engineering, so you think you can only be an engineer, right? So right. I go to this marketing company, I'm like, yo, listen, she did this, 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 and this. She knows how to teach herself, put her in operations, fire her in two weeks if you don't like her, pay her minimum wage. And she got in, I prepped her for the interview. She landed in one sitting um, and starts. And while she's there, the company like doubles in MRR. And I'm like, you are an effective person. Like I know you are. And so from there, she moves to like one of the biggest tech companies here in Ottawa um, and just is flourishing, right? Um, but that was the reason why I knew there was a gap because if you do everything right in a system and the system still does not allow you to get a job and like she did everything, she got one A minus, everything else was an A plus. One A minus, like that is a perfect student. So. That was 2018, 2019, and between 2018 and 2019, I'd helped like maybe three or four people get jobs, just very informally. I knew people, I, I referred them, whatever it was. But 2019, I go for lunch with one of my friends who's Canadian, and she had been out of job for a year. And she talks about how she paid some company like 2,400 bucks to help her redo her resume and like get prepped and all that stuff. And I just went like, first of all, the, first, the fact that that service exists is wild to me. Secondly, no international student can pay another 2,400 bucks mm -hmm. on top of their stupid amount of fees. And I just went, you know what? I wonder if we can solve this problem. And I called my best friend from uh, high school. He was also my uh, roommate and my roommate in Carlton too. And I went, hey, like we've been trying to start a company for like four years. Like what if we just solve this problem? He's like, I'm in. As I'm doing the market research in my company, I'm going like, I'm working full time and I'm asking people at the company, would you pay for like a resume service? Like if it gave you like a, 
head start right out of school and people were like yes like oh my god i definitely would have needed that and one of the girls was a girl that i referred for that job and she was she's my co-founder now but she looked at me and went whatever you start i want in and i was like dope i got two partners um and then i post on my instagram hey i want to help five people get jobs this year that's all i posted literally black screen i want to help five, 50 people message me and i was like I got something. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think I got something. So I posted another screenshot. It's like, wow, 50 people messaged me. We're going to do a free workshop. And another one of my friends goes, hey, I've been helping people get jobs. Whatever you start, I want in. I was like, dope. I got three partners. Like, this mm-hmm. is awesome. And so we get together. We were going to call the company like Dream Starter. And they just like laughed. They're like, no. I was like, okay, whatever. We'll try another one. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, we call it the three skills because I Googled like, what are the top five skills employers look for? And there's time management, collaboration, persuasion, uh, creativity, and adaptability. And I was like, time management, you can learn. Collaboration, you just learn from being on a team. But I was like, I didn't ever take a class in persuasion or like adaptability. <laughs> you know, I was like, we should probably teach you those three skills, three skills. Like I go online, I go on GoDaddy, like threeskills.com, available, boom, <laughs> give me that. And so uh, we call it three skills. We do a free workshop and 30 people show up. I'm like, yo, we're moving. So we do a free workshop. We help everybody redo their resume, every single person. And we do it for free. I get up at the end. I go, listen, if you have your resume now and it's what you need, amazing. But if you need help with LinkedIn, salary negotiation, networking, or if you have no clue what the hell you want to do with your life, uh, we're going to build a course. We're going to teach you everything we wish we knew. And it's going to be $250, 20 people signed up. And I went, we're in business. And so we took the money, we incorporated, we took six weeks, we built the course, we ran the course uh, for the first 20 students. And one week later, we get a text. I got a job and 12 interviews. I was like, boom let's go and so we just kept getting those texts i got a job i got a job and so we just kept getting people just kept getting jobs and i got really excited because i was like this is crazy we're changing people's lives like people were messaging us like i finally get to buy christmas presents for my uh, family this year and people were like i'm getting married i i found i have money to buy a ring and i was like this is so rewarding so it never even was about the number i count the number because people care about the number but if one more person gets a job and their life gets changed, like I'm staying in business, right? So, um, so 45 people got jobs our first like 13 months, which was crazy because we just wanted to help five. Um, and that was about $1.7 million in total salary. And it was just life changing. And so that's how three skills was born. That's amazing. I, yeah, man, dude, that's amazing. I think just have that feeling of like giving a person the opportunity to um, successfully go after what they need or, you know, help them out in a position that allows them to kind of further their lives. I think that is so rewarding. And you just mentioned it there. Just even if it's just one person that you've helped out, it means a lot. Uh, and so describe to me what exactly and how exactly you go through helping a job uh, seeker and like what's the typical demographic of individual that you help so 
um, and how, how, how's that uh, program overall work? Right, so we started with international students in mind and new grads, right? Because those two groups, um, they struggle. They just mm -hmm. struggle to get jobs. Um, so what we did was we ran a six hour boot camp, literally six hours straight and just taught them everything. So I specialize in sales, entrepreneurship, anything customer facing. My co-founder, Mariani is a recruiter at Shopify and has a background in finance. Uh, she used to be a senior financial advisor. So anything finance, HR, um, she, she trains on. My third co-founder, Josh, he's a software engineer with a mechanical engineer background and a project manager background. So he covers everything technical. And then my fourth co-founder is uh, a marketing genius with a background in teaching. So she covers everything creative. So within the four of us, we are like the freaking Avengers of job hunting <laughs> because we know so much about industries that you can't get from one career services person. Does that make sense? So what we did was we built that into a six part course and we would just teach them. We would just literally just teach them, make them practice, do role plays, like go over their LinkedIn, teach them what, like we understood the LinkedIn algorithm because of our software engineer. And so we would just teach them what to do with the LinkedIn profile that would make them super visible. Um, and then we started getting requests from people in Toronto because we would just share the screenshots of people getting jobs. And then they would tell people when they get jobs that three skills help. So we started getting requests from people in Toronto and Calgary and Vancouver. And we're like, well, we're not going to go to all these places. Let's just build an online course. So we build an online course and we just kind of leave it up and people can just go buy it and teach themselves. Right. But then we started seeing like a lower, like lower impact, if that makes sense. So they weren't really getting it. Right. Um, and there was no way for them to give or to get feedback like they would in person. So we, you know, took that feedback and then we built a smaller course, uh, interviews, resumes, LinkedIn, um, three modules, and we started a Slack channel where we could give them feedback and then a group coaching session every week. Um, so it's like a three week course. And so they go through the module, they submit the homework, they get feedback, second module, homework, feedback, third module, and then a group coaching session for each of those. Um, and that, that was a game changer. So now we could effectively train like 10 to 20 students per cohort, send them into the world. And most people would get jobs without our help, but some people still needed our help. So then we were like, okay, we need like, like recruiters on our side that would put our candidates at the top of the list because they get like 200, you know, recruiters don't even want to go through that many resumes. They yeah. have to, right? So we would like save them time, just give them the best candidate. And so that started helping our students get jobs. Um, and then it's just like, we did our one year review and then it just kind of blew out of the water. Like we started getting calls from associations, student associations, like people were just like, we need your course. We need your course. So now we're just scaling it. Right. Because, uh, when we present this stuff to, you know, like some, it's some, some pretty big associations, but when we present it, like, I kid you not, their jaws drop because the level of detail is insane because we struggled so much. And my co-founder, Mariani, goes through a thousand resumes a, a week or a month. So we just teach everything that she's like, no, if I saw this, I would hire that person. Mm -hmm. So we just teach that, right? 
um, which makes it super effective. Like our, our goal, like what I promise our students, I'm like, you will become the most employable version of yourself after this course, right? Like you will absolutely change how you can communicate your value. Um, Cause that's what it's all about. You could be the most valuable person in the world. If you can't communicate that, well, nobody's going to hire you. Right. So that's what we focus on teaching. Um, and now like, now we know we have a product that's amazing. We have a market, we've found product market fit and there's validation. So now I'm just, I just told our team uh, like a month ago, I was like, we're going into phase two. They're like, what was phase one? Like, okay. Uh, <laughs> like phase one was building the product. Phase two is scaling it. So um, they're, they're, we're super excited for it and um, it's working pretty well. That's so cool. I love that so much. Yeah. And I think that what's cool is like, uh, Toby, you've built out a team with a lot of depth and skills across different industries, which typically are quite popular with a lot of employers. So like one of the things that we always mention, and I've talked to a lot of founders is like the team uh, as a whole is so important kind of uh, really evolving and establishing how that product's going to look like. And so you guys know exactly from a HR standpoint, how uh, a recruiter is going to look at a candidate, but you're also looking at a skill set in terms of what you guys have learned and applying it and mimicking it. Cause Toby, I know your LinkedIn is quite popping. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, you, you obviously have a great skill set there. And so I love how you guys have meshed everything together and really, uh, have been quite successful doing it. So you've mentioned that you're at phase two, but what is your ultimate goal with three skills and what it, what do you want it to become? This is, uh, you've poked the beer there with this question. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, uh, the, the whole thing with like, like discrimination, racism, those things like really fuel me, right? Like, because um, like, I want to see our people win. And the only way you win is if you own stuff. That's the only way. You cannot uh, like depend on a system that was created to oppress you or not created for you in the first place. So with three skills, phase three of three is uh, where we start to teach people how to own real estate, schools, banks, restaurants, businesses, like everything. Like. I, I want to see a community of people that look like you and that look like me owning the grocery stores. I want to spend my money there. I want to see them own the car manufacturer. I want to spend my money there. And it's some like pretty, like I, they always tell me like how crazy like some of this stuff is. Cause you know, I'm not saying like, Oh, let's own like a startup. Like, no, no. Like I want to own the pharmacies. <laughs> right. Like, so it's like the, the big goal is to change enough lives and have enough people in power because there's, there's no justice without power. Right. Um, so to have enough people that we've helped to grow their careers that are now directors and owners and CEOs and uh, founders, right. And investors that we can own the stocks and own the complexes and own the cinemas and, and all of that. And it's a big enough goal that I, probably will die trying to reach it <laughs> right so I don't um it, it, it never was about the job for me it never was about the job for me right when my sister was 
feeling depressed because she didn't have a job, I didn't get her a psychotherapist, right? She needed a job, but the job allowed her to do something. It gave her the, the freedom, a sense of purpose, right? So the job is the means to an end. So that's why we focused on that because I really do want to see people leave like generational wealth for their families. I want to see people not leave debt, right? And, and not have nothing to show at the end of their lives and not be uh, driving Ubers because someone says their doctor's degree doesn't freaking count here. Like it, that stuff like gets under my skin. Like when I get in an Uber and I hear their story and I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, and, and those are the people that I, I want I want to see them win because I don't, I, it's not right for you to spend thousands of dollars in your life and your effort and your everything building something for it to just not count. Right. So, but the only way you can change is, is if you have power and if you own it. So that's really where I'm going. And I already have some students that um, they're already in phase three, they're already buying stocks. Um, you know, they're already buying, up, you know, like houses and stuff like that. And I'm like, all the power to you, you have equity, you have something to leave your family, right? That's what I want. Um, and that's what we're going to get to. That is a tremendous vision. I feel like that's something that I'm, I'm getting from you throughout this whole conversation. It's only been like, what, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, you have a really good vision in where you want to take things. Um, and so that kind of flows right into everything that we're dealing with right now, like obviously the recent spotlights uh, and not to say these are recent issues, these are pre-existing issues, but they're just getting yeah. more attention now mm-hmm. um, uh, surrounding social justice. Uh, and, and that's ignited a huge conversation uh, in, in many countries. Right. And I think that conversation needs to be had. So I like that um, you're, you're addressing that through your company in a way that's foundational to the people who can benefit. Um, right. So I wanted to kind of touch on that point. Um, your company has actually committed to donating 10% of your revenue to organizations fighting racism, which I think is an amazing initiative. Um, what, what kind of, uh, it seems like obviously you've given your reason as to why that's it, you've led that way, but did you have any personal experiences that you're willing to share um, on that note, uh, uh, dealing with any sort of systemic racism um, or just, you know, racism in the community? Because obviously you came from a different country and had to, uh, settle in here and kind of um, get adapted to that. So is there anything that you would be willing to share that you went through personally? Yeah, like I, I haven't had a, like an exceedingly tough time with uh, like racist people, I would say, or like even like instances. I've had someone call me the N-word before. I I just kind of like, I don't know, it didn't hit me. I, I was confused because I'm Nigerian. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Um, so I've had like people like, you know, be derogatory. I, I was at the border once because I was wearing a hoodie. They put me in a room and searched me for drugs and like had their hand on the gun with, the whole time when I was just trying to get a stamp on my passport. Um, so I've had, I've had instances, right. Um, in the workplace, uh, not as much like the last company I worked for was so diverse that it took me like, or five months to realize that I was the only black guy there because I just felt so like in my zone, right? Like with my people. Um, but I think like I've experienced it in other places. I've, I've experienced systematic like racism. I've experienced like, you know, trying to give feedback 
to leadership and getting shut down and then denying that the problem existed, right? right. Or, you know, defensiveness, right? I've experienced all that stuff. But, and I was ne- I, like up until two months ago, I actually wasn't like this. I'm a, I don't know if you know Enneagrams, but I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I avoid pain at all costs. Um, and so I, would, I wouldn't even talk about this. I just went, you know where this world is racist. We're just gonna have to find a way around it. Um, but then one day I, I heard a, uh, a podcast or like an Instagram video that by grade four, or sorry, by the age of four, black boys are seen as more tr- more of a troublemaker than any other race, which means like you're behind from when you're four. And I went like, so I started looking into this. It, it's ridiculous. It's like, you don't even get to be a kid. So I just went like, okay, um, that's a problem. And so I looked into it and they did this experiment where, um, they have a white kid and a black kid and then they have a white doll and a black doll and they ask the kids uh, which doll is the good doll and they say the white doll both kids the black kid and the white kid the the white doll is the good doll which doll is the bad doll the black doll which doll is the ugly doll the black doll which doll is the pretty doll the white doll and i just i literally remember listening to that and pausing and going i gotta fight this like my kid is going to think he's less from four like you don't become much if you think you're less from four right so i just remember waking up like i remember where i was sitting and i just woke up i cried because i finally acknowledged that there was a big problem but but once i cry like i'm a very active person like if if something breaks my heart i won't sit and wait for it to break my heart again (laughs) right so um i just like came on First thing I did, I talked talk to our team. I was like, I want 10% of all our money going to fight this. Um, I was like, find, find organizations, vet them, make sure that they actually put money back into the black community. Um, we didn't get in this business to make money. We got in this business to make an impact. So I want to fund them. And it, it wasn't, they were all like, yep, yep, yep. Like it wasn't even a question, right? But um, to me, it's it's something worth fighting for. Like. I want to have kids and I don't want to worry, you know, when I travel or at school, if my kid is getting a fair chance, right. I, I want him to, to grow up. I, I just want what everybody else wants, <laughs> right. I want my kids to have a good life. I want them to be safe. I want to live till I'm 70, 80, 90. Right. Um, but I think the things like that, like big fights like that start with fights like this. Right. Um, so that's why I'm so passionate about making sure that we fund organizations fighting racism. That's beautiful, man. And you summed it up in that one line and saying you got into business, not for business, you got into business to help people. And so what other ways can you help them? Right. Right. Um, and so that brought you to this. And I like that a lot. So when you're dealing with your clients, like do you, who are you know looking for jobs um, and you're preparing them for the interview process and everything like that, is this something, uh, especially when you're working with uh, certain demographics, are you preparing them uh, to face racism in the workforce uh, and how to kind of adapt to that or how to react to that? I shouldn't say adapt. In, uh, when we were in person, it was a lot easier to do that. 
Um, now I just make sure they're the best candidate that even if someone's racist, like still the best candidate. Right. Right. Um, I found that that's more effective um, because like we know that we're limited based off our color, not because we want to be limited, but because it's the way the world is. Right. But if you are the best choice, you start to reshape people's thinking of what those limitations are and why they're there. Um, so I like to fight problems from the root because it takes more effort, but has more impact. So instead of saying, Hey, you know, I used to, when we first started, it was like, Hey, you might need to change your name. Uh, you should maybe take off like this experience from back home. But I went like, no, like if you're the best candidate, you know, they'll overlook it or they'll accept it. Right. So then we just like pivoted and went, no, let's just cheat, like not cheat in like a unfair way, but learn the system so well, teach it so well that we create people that even though they weren't born in the system, they exceed the people that were. That then became our whole like mantra is like, just create extremely employable people. Um, but I find that that works a lot better because um, I want, I still want them to go into the companies knowing that even if racism exists, like you can still be a director, you can still be a CXO. You might not be able to see them. Um, it might not exist yet, but that just means that you could be the first one, you know, like I want that mindset, right? right. Um, because the other mindset just makes you go like, well, I'm grateful that I'm here, you know, and you, you like kind of shrink and, you know, when someone asks you for a referral, you don't, you have this conflict of interest. Like, well, if there's two of us, you know, like, and human beings are very like complex people, but if there's this abundance mentality that no, you can be whatever, you can be the first of whatever, then you, you, you go change any company. Right. Um, so that's the, the mindset that we try to put them in. Um, and I want to like, I really want to drive that in a bit more, but that's why we do the group coaching sessions. That's where I really like one of our phrases is don't believe the lie because we have these lies. We tell ourselves these lies and then we limit ourselves based off the lies that we've been told. So one, one phrase is break the rules. The other one is don't believe the lie. And people go like, why break the rules? I'm like, the rules were made for you. You need to break them. Right. And then don't believe the lie is like, you're probably your biggest enemy because of what you tell yourself. So through our course, we try to like attack those two things, but just do it in the most effective way. Beautiful philosophy. Just just be so good at your work that you're just undeniable for that role, right? Like they yeah. can't hold anything else. Exactly. And, and to that point, like that's, we feel that. Like, I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we wanted you on this because obviously with our podcast and even in our own personal experiences, uh, I, I don't want to uh, speak to I'm in here, but maybe we can get into it off air if anything, but we've, we went through that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we, we can see, uh, kind of the impact that you teaching the next generation or even the current generation of people in the workforce to deal with that. Um, we can see the impact translate into the workforce. So on the flip side, obviously your company is investing into black organizations, um, to fight racism. What do you think employers should be doing to address these concerns like outside of uh, outside of similar to what you're doing like how can they address these maybe with their specific employees or anything like that 
so a lot of companies right now are trying to like make statements and document their way into a diverse company. It's impossible. You, you, you hire black recruiters and you hire black leaders and you hire black executives. There's no other way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys watch um, The Last Dance? I have not. Yeah. Michael Jordan. Oh, okay. The, okay, Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've watched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a point where they said, you know, Jordan signed with Nike and they expected him to do three million dollars a year in sales. First year he did one twenty six million dollars, right? Why? Because if they tried to do a campaign to get more black people to buy Jordans, it wouldn't have worked as well as just making a black person successful. Right. right. It's that's the power of imagery. So if you want to change your company, you want a diverse company, get more black recruiters because the gatekeepers will reflect the people that come in the gate, right? So if you got 75 white recruiters, you're not going to have a diverse company. You can document your way all day, mm-hmm. right? If I come right. into a, an, an interview, we can't even connect on a deeper level than just my work. So you'll pick someone that you like more because they relate more, right? Because either way, interviews are with human beings. They're not with the process, right? So you get more black recruiters, then you show them what they can be by making team leads black. Then you show them how far they can go by making executives black and everything else will start to fall into place, right? When, when decisions are going to be made that are racist, you have someone with power that can say no, hmm. right? When things are gonna be shipped that are being shipped without being vetted, now you got someone to be in the room and go, that's a no-go, right? And the, the thing, the re- people go like, well, what about indigenous recruiters? And, you know, and like, listen, no other group was repressed for 400 years, scientifically, systematically, politically. We don't just fight for us. We fight against oppression for everybody, right? But no other group, like, for this long, in, in this way, with this intensity, right? Like, anti-Black racism is everywhere across the world. How is that possible, right? So when you hire black recruiters, you literally hire someone that's going to uphold justice at every point, right? Black recruiters, black leaders, black execs. And now you start to see real change, right? Because you don't have to have documents if there's just somebody there that represents us, right? And that's where I like a lot of companies are still missing this right now. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you are not going to policy your way into this and you're not going to police language in a way that leads to diversity. No, you don't need to do that. Diversity is a result of power. You put black people in power and diversity will follow. Right. And I think like so many companies are missing it. They're posting the black square. They're donating to NAACP. They're, you know, getting on camera. We love black people. We're listening. We're hearing. Okay. Hire me. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like give me the power to make change and you'll see diversity. Yeah. And, and I, so like, it's really interesting because I've personally experienced this and I'm not going to really go into the topic of uh, us being black or I'm um, Indian or whatever that may be. Yeah. But as a colored individual, I've found myself in those kind of spaces as well where whenever I look at a senior leadership team, unfortunately, they're always typically white males. Yeah. Um, and so I've always found that point is, is challenging. And 
Uh, I'm not going to name the company I was at before, but there was a scenario where a lot of the individuals that would get promoted or, um, you know, get on to the next level happen to be white individuals, unfortunately, even though someone of a colored background and there was colored individuals at that company maybe had more of a skill set, more credentials, and have actually been more successful in the role that they've been in. So I've always found that tough. And again, to the, to our point where I think all of us have experienced this just because we're all colored individuals is that there is a barrier, but to your point, Toby, just having something on a piece of paper doesn't reflect anything. You actually have to execute as a company to show that you've made this change. And it obviously also promotes from within where I see a colored individual as a senior leader, I can go to them and ask them how they did it. Um, And, and I think that's the huge thing that's missing is like, who do we go to, to ask for advice and how do you, how you did it? Cause let's face it, mentorship is huge. And I think, right. And so I think that's a huge missing component. And if we don't have individuals that are representative of who we are, uh, representing leadership roles, we're going to be stuck in that middle ground again, um, kind of looking and exploring options of how to do that. Exactly. That is like spot on, dude. Like that is it. That is the full extent of this. Like, I don't want to see another document. It, it, it's not going to change anything for me. It's like, you want to change my life, change your leadership team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, even looking at the tech space now, like I uh, recently in the news, um, Alex Ohanian, who used to be the Reddit um, yeah. board member, he made a real significant uh, um, transition going off the board and saying, we want a black board member to replace me. And I think it's powerful. One, obviously, he's married to Serena Williams, who is yeah. an African-American by descent, but his child is also now obviously half African-American. So he's obviously leading by example. So what do you think, obviously executing is one thing, but how do we change the mindset in terms of having more inclusion in leadership um, and having these roles open for uh, individuals of color? Um, You just, you talk about it and you, you don't stop. Because the one thing that, is powerful in this generation is the fact that I don't need CNN to have a platform, right? Like I don't need any, anybody to have a platform. If I keep talking about this, like look at what happened on my LinkedIn, right? So I decided to start posting on LinkedIn two weeks ago. Okay. And I found this way of like telling stories that I thought was really going to resonate with people because I love telling stories. I think people learn more by stories and Within two weeks, I get 1.5 million views on my content, okay? And now I have this platform. I've been, I've been keeping all of this in me for years, right? But I didn't need a, a press release to get it out. I just needed to just start talking about it. That's the power of just having a profile, right? No paid ads. I didn't use a single algorithm thing. I just posted and people resonated. And I think that's where like people are going, well, how do we like get them to pay attention to us? Get loud, right? Like every room, every chance, every comment, every situation you talk. And I think that's the power that 
will always like I saw yesterday that Ford employees are telling Ford to stop making police cars. And Ford is literally having to listen because these people make the cars. Like mm -hmm. the execs are not going to go to the freaking factory and start like, you know, plugging the cars, <laughs> you know, no, you, but that's the power of your voice. And when people, this is why, like when this whole thing was happening these past three months, people that were silent made black people just as mad as people that were racist, because you know that it's unjust, but you're being silent. So you're just as unjust right it's like that's that's why like it's not about how much power we have right now we, we are at a such a unique time in the world where your platform is all you need to make a difference and that's that's what we're gonna keep doing that's what i tell everybody i get this question every panel that I, i've been on like four or five panels in the past month okay every panel i'm on i get this question what should well what should we do listen if my wife won't stop talking about something, you better believe something's going to get done about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's just human nature though. It's like, you keep talking about it. You keep talking about it. And eventually change happens. I like that's, that. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely powerful. I mean, it's, it's that change that we need. And then let's, let's just go back into like even investment into uh, colored founders there is like literally no VC dollars that get poured into any like um, colored founder. Um, and let's just focus maybe even on African-American individuals of descent. I think they received, I think it was less than 1% of VC dollars, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so that again, oppresses the whole idea of them trying to innovate and trying to scale themselves is if they're not getting the attention that they need in terms of foundationally changing and uprooting whatever system that they have or they're in um, and having those dollars to kind of scale and build it's, it becomes challenging. So like, do you think as colored individuals, we need say VCs that are colored? I know there's a lot more coming out or again, kind of do we have to systematically change? Like you just said, uh, how policies are intact and where VC dollars go. Because I've seen this with a lot of VCs now. They just recently created these fancy, oh, we're going to have these little like colored, found, colored founder um, funds. I, I find that complete bullshit. You guys have been there for like 30 years plus, and you just recently noticed, hey, let's invest in colored founders. It's just another publicity stunt. So what do you think has to happen in that realm to help us um, in terms of growth of company and innovation. So uh, in the States at least, but I, I guess it probably trickled to Canada. I'm going to look into it. Uh, white wealth came from the boom of suburbs in 1940s and 1960s where you could buy a single house, like a single for 10 grand, 10 grand. And the equity in that house would grow to five, $600,000, okay? Um, and now you had all this cash that you didn't work for, right? Like uh, wealth is not built by hard work, right? Uh, good salaries are, but, but wealth is not built by hard work. So the reason why like uh, money doesn't go to black founders is because black people don't own anything, right? Colored people that own things they're not that many, right? Like there's a lot of them that work for companies, but to say you own something like 
is is completely different, right? So now when we look at, okay, we want to get some venture capital to college founders, right? If a white person gives you venture capital, they still own you. <laughs> they just played the system for you, right? It's, it's a performance. Yes, you have the money. You build the company. Amazing. They own 40% of it. So if we're going to, this is a like long-term play, right? Like if we're going to get to like, okay, we want venture capital. We're going to like start building our own companies and funding our own people. Everyone has to go out and buy a house. You don't have to buy a house because you like houses or you feel like you can afford a house, but for the equity that it will give you to do, you do it like maybe three, four times. Now you got some equity or you buy stocks, right? Like the, the Shopify folk, they got stocks at 35 cents, $1 right? If they want to be an angel investor right now, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. Neighborhood down the road, Shopify employee walks in by the 900k house cash, right? Been there a long, long time. It just grew because you were there. Right. So if we're going to get to a place where we want to start giving money to color founders, it needs to be in the ecosystem, right? Like where it comes back into the community. Right. That's something the Chinese do very well. Right. It's like Chinese Chinatown everywhere. How? It's like you, the bank is Chinese. The restaurant's Chinese. Dry cleaner, Chinese. Like the, so the dollar circulates. And, and I, I learned something yesterday that blew my mind and just put new fire under me. A white person can spend a dollar and it might never leave the white community in their lifetime. They could spend a dollar. And it would go to a white-owned bank, white-owned grocery store, white-owned dry cleaner, white-owned, like literally for their whole lifetime. The Jews can do, spend a dollar and get 26 days just spending it. Like that dollar will just circulate in the Jewish community, right? Black people, six hours. Wow. After six hours, you are out of black businesses to spend that money at. That is the problem until that money can circulate. Cause if I build wealth and then I spend it over here, what's the point, right? My realtor needs to be black, right? For it to then, cause he gets the commission now, right? And then my lawyer needs to be black, right? And that's how it works. And it needs to work the same, not just for the black community, but for all the communities. And then you go, okay, colored people unite. And now we've got a fund that we created. Not that you created for me, right? Uh-huh. It's that we created. And until we get to a fund that we created, the best we can do, yeah, like you can take the colored fund and you know build a great company and then you know strip back, get them out, then put the money into like we can do that, right? And that's powerful too. Like, I don't want to write that off, right? Like what those people are doing are like, they're being allies to the best of their ability, right? And that's fine, but we still need to own it. Like it needs to be ours. Like I need the grocery store to be ours, right? And until then, we just have to keep owning stuff. We got to keep buying stuff. We got to keep getting jobs, keep getting promoted, keep buying stocks. 
And then one day we will eventually be able to, it took them what, how long, like 70 years to do what they're doing today with all that venture capital, right? Um, but, you know, we're starting late, but we can get there too, where we just have to follow the same uh, winning system, right? Real estate, stocks. For sure. And I feel like a lot of what you were explaining right now it, there's a, there's so much it's obviously there's so much truth to it but the reason it's existent right now is because like you mentioned there is no education on that right like i like some of the stats that you just told us i had no idea like the, with the dollars circulating in, in different communities like i had zero idea and i feel like that and and that's blinded that every generation moving forward because it's like you don't understand that you don't learn that and even in, in our community uh, i can speak to the sri lankan community where it's like if we're kind of just told to go do something, right. It's like, go be a doctor, go be an engineer yeah. or like, that's it. That's, those are your options. Right. Or if you're, if you're not one of those two, it's like, Hey, you don't really do anything with your life. Right. And, and they don't understand like where, like where there's opportunity and how we can approach those opportunity. Um, and, and, and that kind of leads into a lot of uh, the students who come out of school because they go into a program that they don't know, or they come out of it and they're like, I need this job or I need that job because, and you ask them why. And it's like, I don't know why. I just, I just thought it was, this is what I had to do. Right. So yeah. how do you address that? Like, where do we, where do we start that? Because obviously, like you mentioned, we can't expect the institutions to address that for us. The government's not going to put in policies for that. The schools aren't going to do that. So maybe that's it's parents, maybe it's families, maybe it's friends and peers. Like how do you think we should address that at a younger age, at a younger point so that we can um, allow them to develop their mentality that way while they're learning? Uh, I hate to beat the dead horse, but we got to own the schools. We got to own the publishing companies. We, like here's what happened. Okay. The white man found a way to market everything that everybody else did as their own. That's all that happened, okay? Jack Daniels was created by a black person. Yep. His, right, like, that never got a single bit of royalty till today. So the reason why that happens, like, you wouldn't be talking about this, like, oh, you have to be an engineer. Or, like, my dad wanted me to be a civil engineer, right? Because we were told that this is what you have to be in the system to be successful, Think right. about black basketballers. Think about what every kid wants to be when they're growing up. Wait, why is it a basketballer? Why? Because they have money. So you go, I, again, visualization. Like, they're successful, so I'll be successful if I do this. Right. Same thing happened with how are, like, mechanical engineering, civil engineering, electrical engineering are still the top three, like, biggest course uh, uh, or biggest intakes for, like, international students but the industry isn't growing. Those industries are not growing. Mm -hmm. So who is telling them that? Right. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the, it's the information is not making it down because of the source of the information. Right. If I would like my brother, for example, no way engineering. Are you nuts? Computer programming. Like we're going to build wealth. You know, we're not going to be engineers and doctors. You're not going to be in school for 10 years, hey, all power to people that want to do that, right? But none of those schools are owned by brown people or black people, right? right? Like, think about that. Like, I convinced you that you're going to be in school for 10 years to learn how to be a doctor, right? And I wrote the curriculum 
right. that you're going to learn, right? So now when we, you know, people come into our program, like I, I, I'm like, why do you study engineering? And my dad told me to. Well, do you like engineering? Like, no. Buddy, you can be the best YouTube content producer that ever existed in this life. And that's why we used to start with a personality test. And what we would do with the personality test is show them all the things that they could be, right? So people that studied accounting, I'm like, you could be this and you could be this and you could be this. And then we would show them successful people that were their personality type in one of those, right? Right. And you would see like, it would be like, like I never knew I could be that. You see that light bulb moment. Exactly. And that's why I looked into starting a school. Because if my kid believes from four that they can be anything, and by 10, they still believe they can be anything. And by 14, they still believe they can be anything. Hey, they might be become Bill Gates and code the next big thing, right? But if I believe that I can only be this, I won't even consider everything else, right? That's why you hear those stories of, oh, I started coding at 14 or, oh, I started coding at 18 or like I started a company because the world was your oyster because you were educated that everything was possible for you. We were educated that doctors, accountants, and engineers made money. Very different system, right? right. And, and that's where like the, the root of this problem is the actual problem. It's the fact that the people that control the information and control what we believe don't look like us, right? And, and once that changes, I already told my wife, I was like, listen, I know you might not be in for this, but we're starting a school because I want my kids and my friends' kids to believe that they can be anything, right? And if we're going to do that, we just got to show them that we became anything and we teach them at four. So that's really where it comes. Like now I'm retraining 22-year-olds with a degree. I have two students with master's degrees in my course. And I have to tell them that you don't have to be an engineer. Yeah. Right? You how do you even tell that after like how many years of school <laughs> right like i have how to many tell dollars? them like yeah how many dollars is that right like i have to tell them i literally have to coach them that no you you can be anything <laughs> they're like no it's not possible i, I don't have a degree like, i said white people don't have a degree and they can be anything right like think about it they'll be like oh i started a company and i and chemicals like oh do you have a chemical engineering background no, I just inherited it from my uncle. It's like, damn, that's what I want, right? So that's that. That problem is is so common, but we'll just keep fighting it until we own stuff. I don't want to taint any of that by putting any of my words in there because you summed <laughs> it up so well. <laughs> so I mean, I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I, I like that was such a beautiful way to look at it. Um, I, I think the fundamental growth uh, of the next generation is dependent on what they're taught. And if we're not, yeah. if we can't control that at any level, then it, yeah. we're just going to be living that cycle. Yeah. And, and I think we also as a generation, as maybe first generation in Canada or second generation, whatever it may be, uh, I think we have a different understanding uh, just because we've experienced something different. Uh, I know our parents have always been uh, lack for a better, ma- like lack for a better words is, they've been like kind of raised in a certain system. Um, right. And so their kind of philosophies are kind of just spread to us, assuming yep. that that specific 
lifestyle is going to give you a great life, right? Uh, I mean, exactly. they've they've worked their like asses off to be in a situation that they're in now, but they just want to better us. So, hey, money is good, so that will help you kind of sustain your life better than ours. But I think they weren't taught either that ownership or you know stocks or any of that stuff hasn't been trickled down, and so we've kind of had to learn and. and I think our future generations that come out of this would be much better prepared. And so uh, to your point, Toby, like the future generations to come of colored individuals are going to be much better off and much better educated to be able to tackle these kind of things. Cause now education is passing down uh, in terms of, you know, what's ahead of them. Exactly. And education is switching hands. Like the, the democratization of education where it went from, you have to go to Harvard or you have to go to Stanford or you, you won't be anything has changed. That's why Udemy and, you know, all these Coursera and all these places are starting to boom now because people are going like, like YouTube has become the greatest university in the world. Mm -hmm. People are yeah. learning how to change their lives on YouTube, right? That's the power back to the people. So now, Hey, you can become whatever you want to be because you're learning that from a platform or a instructor that looks like you or that thinks different. And now you don't have to be a part of the system. You can create your own system. Yeah, right? right. So um, I definitely agree with that. And I, the government's not going to do it. And the schools aren't going to do it. Like you said, um, like we're going to have to do it. And it's, it doesn't need to start with that next generation. Like I, instead of buying a Tesla, which I love, I, I bought a house yeah, because yeah. I was like, uh, like, do I need to look cool or do I need to leave a legacy? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that decision, just like that one decision might just send my life on a whole other trajectory. Right. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's what it's going to change, take to really change the world, like our world. Right. Um, and I'm excited for it. Like it's going to be like the next 10 years are going to look, completely different than these last 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, summing that up, that's, like, the perfect kind of response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and this week, I think uh, there's been a, a chain going around LinkedIn, and I think Amin posted that as well, like, the story where it's like, hey, instead of buying a Tesla, I, I should have bought yeah. the stock in Tesla. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, I saw that, actually. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. And so, I don't know, I found that something like that was like quite resonated with me. Like, you know, a car is a car, but man, if I had $400,000, I can do so much more. Right. So, and that's how wealth builds. Right. So yeah, I uh, thought I'd share that. So, I mean, Toby, we, we've grilled you on a lot of questions here. I mean, so uh, obviously uh, we, we always do this with our guests. We go into like more of a lighter thing where we get to know you a bit better uh, in the lightning round. So, uh, I'm going to leave it to Sherston. He's going to ask the questions. And so you have basically five to 10 seconds to answer these questions. Um, okay. And uh, feel free to answer how, however you may like. And uh, Sherston, take it away. For sure, man. Don't think too hard. <laughs> so first off, what is your, your most favorite book of all time? Uh, the Billion Dollar, no, The Trillion Dollar Coach. The Trillion Dollar Coach. No, I haven't heard this by. Um, oh, man, I... I should have known this before. Um, the Trillion Dollar Coach. It's it's about a man called Bill Campbell who coached Jeff Bezos, right, uh, right, Steve Jobs. Um, it is by Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt. 
yeah. isn't he isn't that the Google mm-hmm. founder? Yep. He yeah. coached all those guys. Sergey, this yeah, billion yeah, dollar yeah, yeah. Tri- trillion dollar coach. That's why they call him. Um yeah. but he was behind a lot of their success. I, I read that book twice in like three days and he went from being a college coach to being Silicon Valley's godfather in like wow. twenty years. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Matt Sherrison, we we've been like like getting a list of books that we need to read, eh? Like with all of our guests. So. I have, yeah, I have an Audible list right now that I haven't uh, bought yet, and I need to I need to update this. Yeah. Um, so, man, you're involved in a lot of things, and I'm I'm sure you're stressed out uh, pretty often. How do you unwind after a long day, whether that's at work or family or friends, or whatever? How do you come back home and, and how do you unwind? I play FIFA um, on my PS4. Um, I would play for hours and just not think. Sometimes I play with my boys, we play like pro clubs and just like talk to each other while we play. Um, but that's probably the best way I've found to unwind. And then on the weekends, I play soccer with my boys too. Mm-hmm. So those two things just like clear my head and keep me sane. So just soccer, virtually or reality? Yeah, I, I only buy one game. I only like, people yeah. like, do you have like God of War or like Fortnite? No, I just buy FIFA. Just, <laughs> yeah. What's your, what, what's your favorite team? I used to be an Arsenal supporter. Okay. Um, but after having my heart broken multiple times, <laughs> um, I now just support the game of football. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That is fair. Uh, one question around your work. What is a skill that you value the most when you're interviewing a potential candidate? Uh, probably like innovation. Like, just thinking outside the box. Um, like we're bringing on a couple of people for three skills and um, like, I just don't care what your credentials are. Right. If, if you are somebody that can think outside the box, um, we will change the world. If you come here with your structure and your small thinking and your no, 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 it's not possible. Um, you can't be here. So, so um, everything I say is pretty much crazy until we do it. Um, and I want people like that. I love it. I love it. And so on that note, I think to, uh, I like to think that uh, I'm an outside of the box thinker. And um, a lot of outside of the box thinkers seem to like pineapple on pizza. What's your take on that? Absolutely. Yes. Thank yeah, you. That's a, that's like maybe I have to actually just try it a few times. You gotta do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the sweet and savory. It just you know I I love it. It's like whoever thought of this is an out of the box thinker. You know. Yeah, you, you uh, I think it's a Canadian too, right? It's te- I'm pretty sure it's what Canadian. It? Yeah, I yeah, have yeah. no idea. I swear the Hawaiian pizza came from some Canadian guy out in Montreal. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, a Hawaiian pizza came out of Montreal, Canada. Yeah, I think oh, so. God. Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere. Give me one That's second. Sam Panopoulos. I'm sorry if I'm uh, butchering the name. Who has died aged 83 uh, was the one that... He's a Canadian man who invented yeah. Hawaiian pizza. There you are. That's wow. amazing. That is yeah. very cool. Greek man from uh, from Canada. But yeah. Go Canada. Go Canada. <laughs> Go Canada. Yeah. Toby, amazing. this was such a great conversation, man. I enjoyed everything that you stand for and everything that your business is doing. Um, and you seem like a very standard person and we're excited to see where you're headed. Thanks, man. And I appreciate you letting me be on the podcast and, um, excited to see where you guys go too.